Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report week commencing 20th September 2021. I'm going to start with oilseed rape, which has hit the magic £500 a tonne X farm for February. Now, to anyone, that is a brilliant price, I believe. Allowing for greed and fear, which influences all of us, that premium to be added to it, it's a lot of money. It doesn't seem to be a weak market, so you're not going to lose your shirt, I don't think, if you don't sell it. And even if you sold it for 470 and got it £30 wrong from where we are now, it's still technically a win, in my view. So you're kind of in a strong position, but it's £500 a tonne. So that's possibly down. The recent little rally has come in with StatCan came out recently with their latest projection for Canadian canola crop, which is now written down from the original sort of 20 million tonne area. The more recent one was 14.8 million. It's now down to 12.8 million projections. So another couple of million tonnes goes missing. There's also allegedly some farmer retention on sunflower in Russia, Ukraine, where they've got a late harvest. And with the export tax thing going on, there's people not being inclined to sell it at the prices that they don't think are fair. So those are influencing the oilseed markets at the moment. Moving on to feed barley, it has not suffered anywhere near as much as the wheat market did in the recent drop. There has been a recovery in wheat, but that hasn't really, really impacted barley that much either. So you can still make 168x farm. Budget figure for feed barley was way lower than that. And I think the budget figure for malting barley was actually lower than that when you first planted it. So let's face it, it's a really good price. What are the prospects? If the feed grains market moves down, obviously feed barley will suffer through that and be taken out of the ration. At the moment, it's very close to the wheat price, and so less barley will in the end be used. But there does seem to be a shortage of barley. So I think you're in a strong position in the short term, definitely. But I think you're going to need to have a target, aren't you, to aim at. And if it hits that target, sell it. So 168x, that inevitably puts the target at a nice round figure somewhere above that, no doubt. That's for October movement, so you can add a pound a month to those prices. Moving on to wheat, the price, as I record, this is actually prior to the futures opening this morning, I'm afraid. I've got to get out and do some other stuff. So I would just say 183x farm for November, which puts X farm feed wheat in Norfolk 190, 191 for May 22. Pretty punchy. It's sort of £9 off the Magic 200 figure, if that is a Magic figure. What happens next? Well, there's a conversation in the farm chat. We have a guest this week. We had one of our competitors, Tim Porter from Safitra, was up in Norfolk and he came to see us. We nabbed him and did a podcast with him. So we both have a little stab at what we think the May futures will be on April the 2nd next year, which is quite interesting. Right now, in the period between now and Christmas, I think we're going to see the market with, we won't call it distressed grain, but we'll call it grain that lots of people shouldn't be that comfortable with just leaving in their barns. It's damp, and if you want to have some bugs in the spring, then keep it. But I don't think, if you haven't got the drying kit and you haven't got the right facilities, don't mess around. The prices are in the 180s. As long as it's below 16 and a half, you can comfortably get it into most of the consumers with an allowance. Some of them are getting a little bit too much of that stuff, and they reject the odd load. It's their right 
right to do so because 15% is what they buy on. But I would work hard at getting some of it away if it's struggling on that moisture level. Price prospects, in between now and Christmas, I think are more likely to go sideways to down. Longer term, well, you'll see what me and Tim think about that. That's about it, really. It's been a week where there is still grain standing in the fields, in a few fields around here, which is fine. We can cope with it when it finally comes, but we're pretty fed up with moving wet grain and drying it. What we're trying to do is clear some space to do some of the drying that we've got backlogged, if you like. We have several of our contracts for malting barley we've dried already, but we've got some more tonnage to put through. And the hospital cases have been so many that we've just been piling those through to help people get out of trouble, I guess. And you could say, oh, yeah, you're making lots of money out of that but there is a point where everybody feels a bit broken we're doing it put in perspective Aylsham is a 21,000 ton site and we've had over 30,000 tons through it the dryer's been turned on and just kept on for the whole of the month August and September it's just been on so had a, a very hefty gas bill which kind of made your eyes water the other day it's still going to be going for another month and a half I suspect with what we've got to do to catch up With that in mind, the other thing that I think farmers are going to start getting itchy about and cross about and whatever you want to call it, it is not going to be very easy to get your hands on seed. Josh mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Haulage, physically getting stuff away from the places. You may well have to organise some sort of haulage to collect seed yourself. That's a suggestion. Line somebody up where perhaps you can get a big curtain side of yourself lined up and say, look, don't worry about the haulage. If you've got it bagged up, I'll collect it. That's going to be, especially with a late harvest, everyone's a little bit behind already there's going to be some angsty moments and in my book some of those seed orders I'd rather not have to be perfectly blunt the stuff I've got on the floor I'm happy with but yeah I'm going to let somebody else give you all the excuses why it's not there and you can get angry with them if that's okay with you with that have a good week thank you thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours If ever there was a time to own central grain store tonnage, it's now. Yeah Grain at Cantley takes the worries and stresses of grain drying and storage away. Members of the store can harvest without delay and can bring their produce in the day it comes off the combine, all with discounted drying and servicing charges. Call 01493 700 447 or 01263 731 550 for details. Yeah Grain. Providing the grain handling you need. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728 978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. Today, we've got a very special guest who's travelled all the way from very near the equator. And this is the first because we've got a member of the opposition, in a sense, someone who does our job, albeit not in Norfolk, but this is a big build-up. So, you know, all the way from very near the equator, I have got with me Tim Porter. Good morning, Andrew. Very nice to be here. Thank you. It's very good to see you travelling all this way towards the Arctic. Absolutely. It's a bit fresher up here, but at least I can see across the land quite well. So, first question is, you just came to see how it's done properly, or...? <laughs> well, that's right. I hear every Monday morning, on my drive into work, I get a market report, and then I listen to how great do, everyone is. Do you do the opposite? You know, some people say, well, you need to buy that, and, like, they're wrong again. Generally. <laughs> I generally, you know, put my hedging strategy, 50% what I think, 25% what Charles Roberts thinks, and then the other 10%. The opposite of what we say. Yeah. Yeah, good plan. I mean, a big thing in Kent is, is that terrible commodity milling wheat, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I mean, that's our bread and butter, really, Andrew. So I trading. slate it every week, and you think, well, what is he talking about? But that's fine, Andrew. I'm more than happy for you to slate it, and we'll look after big buck stuff, and you can look <laughs> after the corn feed. Do you grow malting barley in Kent? There is more malting barley now as rotational changes of it have pushed more people to spring cropping, and, and we see a lot it, more spring barley. Is it any good? Yeah, it can be. I think we're more of an export spec rather than... 185 nitrogen sort of steely looking. That sort of stuff, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is the truth of why we have malting barley here and you have milling wheat there. You can grow it easily. We can grow malting barley easily, sweeping statement for the whole of the county. But, you know, all of the maltings in the UK predominantly are in the east of the country for a reason. That's right. It's near to the stuff where it's grown. And the mills, historically, they closed in East Anglia a couple of decades ago and they stayed near places where it's grown. You know, the London, the Essex and the Kent supply for the London mills is a shorter haul and that's where it comes from. Correct. It's a natural flow for it to go to Tilbury there's two large flour mills there our mutual friend David Wright's two mills now but Harlow certainly that's where the you know majority of our flow of group one wheat will go and in Kent now we've really only got three feed mills and they're relatively small and therefore if there's no market the farmers will grow what we can sell best for them. Kent is rather similar to Norfolk in the sense that it's a surplus area of wheat and you know you're on the east coast so there's the port opportunity to move because you do export a fair bit most years don't you we do yeah we have a number of sort of specialist markets that we fill and we find that certain grades of milling wheat tend to grow in a way that the mills that we or customers that we supply into belgium and holland they tend to come to us and say we like that wheat that grows there i don't know if there's some sort of microclimate or the soil type whatever it is we're often accused of using ancient varieties still and you know, a lot of people talk about ancient varieties for flour milling, things like that. But, you know, Claire, which would be now probably a 25, 30 year old variety, there's still Claire grown for really? a specialist market. And it's a niche, really. And it's got a bit that way. But generally in the region, group ones now are, you know, I would say strong majority of what is grown. But no, we make use of a couple of ports at Dover and Rye. And we do little coasters across the channel to some of our friends over there. Yeah, because your history, originally you worked for grain harvesters. That's correct. That's where you started. That's where I started. So I started there 2010, and I was working previously before that on the haulage side for that business. And I joined Charles Roberts, who was the grain marketing director at Grain Harvesters at that time. You know, two of us in a team in a store very similar to where we are here at Elsham. That store was famously, what, it's Store 55, as you mentioned yeah. before, the mics were turned on. On the futures list, isn't it? It's one of the oldest stores around. And because Kent is a surplus area, it's an obvious market, isn't it? Futures wheat is, futures price is a premium to ex-farm values. Correct. So the model, the simple model that we work on is the same one that works in Kent. It's one of the areas that it does actually genuinely mm. work. Why don't you just say, right, boys, we get a growing milling wheat and we'll just put feed wheat in and have an easier life? Well, I think because the extra premium delivered to milling in Tilbury have encouraged people to do that. I think also perhaps the trend of buying into or delivering to a future store had gone away. I think grain harvesters worked very well because you had store customers and they weren't members. It wasn't a cooperative mm. type arrangement there, but you would have people that you know paid a storage fee for the year and then they could sell at a futures price delivered effectively. Mm. And you know, the carrier would be in there to pay effectively, hopefully, for the storage. Mm. And I think that the trend went away from that a little bit. And I think there were better opportunities for the stuff we were doing as an ex-farm trader. And also, I think people like the power of having their own store, having the control over it to load out as and when they want. I think the trend went away, really. The store was sold, wasn't it? Grain house yeah. was sold out. 
to a large company who don't tend to futures out of there, as far as I can see. Yeah, I think their business model works a different way mm. to how it used to work there, and they don't have the requirement. I mean, there'll always be the year. There's not that many stores. I mean, there's a few more stores sprung up that are future stores in Kent, but there's no real biggies out there. Not really, and I think since working for a different company and creating a number of third-party stores, which then can be registered, I think the exchange made it easier for future stores to be registered a few Mm. years ago and that encouraged more to be done and I think when there was a situation like last year there was an excess of milling wheat that didn't really have anywhere to go Mm. the only option eventually became to tender it. Yeah well you tendered milling wheat didn't you? We did that's right and I think as the time moves on and we're going into quite a strange period now of haulage and lack of drivers logistics are difficult I think the mindset might return again that as the busy period of emptying stores may june july you could quite easily see people actually say well okay why do we want to send lorries to a mill yeah, 60 you, 70 miles away when you can cash, say, charge rent and correct. someone else has the hassle of that logistics in my experience the view of being a storekeeper within futures is instead of being you know particularly harsh on every opportunity you can it's a chance where you get a big stick to wave and be awkward if possible we tend to try to be the opposite of that and say can we help? Do you want to swap to, you know, surplus of five tonnes there and six tonnes somewhere else and 11 tonnes? We'll pull it all together and you can collect it from a separate store just to help the logistics. We've tried to be helpful. You know, if I had a hedge of selling my stuff on the futures and it was in fact milling wheat, I'm sure you've done this. You tap up the buyer and say, look, would you like me to load class one milling wheat? You know, if you'll pay a premium, we'll swap a premium into it. These are things that if you get a relationship with the buyers and you're reliable, it tends to make the whole thing simpler and everybody likes them. You know, I guess you did that. Yeah, 100%, Andrew. And I think absolutely as a trade, we are all competitors. That's why you and I sit in this office as friendly competitors. Mm. But at the end of the day, we're working for different companies. Okay, you and I aren't necessarily banging heads together, but you will have colleagues of mine that, you know, will be actively in competition with you. And I think sometimes as a storekeeper... We all like to think, oh, well, you know, I can play a bit of a game here and make life difficult. But I think actually, you know, as the grain trade has consolidated and there are fewer of us, I think actually when it comes down to the crunch, the more we can work together like that, it's got to be best for the trade as a whole. Totally. And I think absolutely right. We've been in situations where we've tendered wheat and then whoever's picked those warrants up why wouldn't you have a conversation and say look actually you've got something better here you own it if it suits you to take it to a closer mill let's agree a premium we'll guarantee that for you let's be grown up and if ever there was a lesson over the years that I've learned it is working with people if you possibly can there's one or two guys in this industry who are the wrong word came to my head then but we'll call them difficult all right there's some sort of strutting thing going on we're like and I'm king I'm going to do something terrible to you the reality is you get much, much more out of people if you are user-friendly. People come back, people see you as someone who's reliable. You know, we've just helped a firm load a boat out of a local port. In that period when everything was wet, we allowed them to use a 1,300 tonnes of dry wheat to get their average right. Now, I didn't have to do that. I knew they were in the shit. The benefit to me was I got replacement wheat coming back. I've got to carefully watch that as it comes in, obviously. But there'll probably be a bit of drying income from some of that as well, so I will gain from it. In terms of the guys at the store where we loaded it out from, which we've now refilled, it meant for them yet another weekend and lots more late nights. You know, I've got teams that are fairly broken at the moment, and it would have been, in one way, easier to say, no, bugger off. But on the other hand, you know, what goes around comes around. One day I might be the one with my hand up saying, can someone help? Absolutely. And I think one thing we all learn with this trade, there's always another day. Yeah. And 
I think it's about being a combination of being flexible. We've all got to work together. We're all sharing the same hauliers a lot of the time, using similar homes. And yeah, of course, you need to work together because it makes no sense, you know, to always fight against each other, add costs and those things. And mm. absolutely, I think, you know, sometimes it's good to have a favour in the back pocket, isn't it? Because you well, never know. One would hope so. Some people never remember. Yeah, it's a bit like getting a drink out of Willie Wright at the bar, isn't it? Has, has he bought you one yet? <laughs> it's been a long time. Covid's got in the way and we haven't met up for a while. Well, but. I've forgotten my wallet. That's somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Willie, that was for you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Will he have to make sure he get down here and uh, put his side of the <laughs> yeah, story across it, to you, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. The listeners will like his Edinburgh R's, weren't he, in his rolling Scottish brogue sort of... I think, yeah, you know, if an accent's to be encouraged and enjoyed, that's certainly his, isn't yeah, that? Without a doubt. Just on the subject we've talked about logistics, has Kent had a particularly tough time with the haulage thing? I think we've had a lot of local hauliers that have decided that they haven't been making enough money. Mm-hmm. One haulier in particular was relying on labour from abroad, which with a combination of COVID restrictions from travelling back and forth and also I think you know the difficulty of the Brexit process, I think a lot of them have said actually... You know, if we've got to get a work permit or visa to do it, not that interested. But actually, I think they're getting paid more money in their home countries. Mm. And I think there's shortage of drivers is across Europe. It's not a UK only thing. So we have seen a lack of drivers and also a reduction in the fleet. However, the rates have moved up. I don't think there's any denying that. And they needed to potentially and it yeah. needed something to happen. And I hope that that will see some reinvestment. I think there's a number of national vanity projects, if you like, HS2, that are sucking a lot of labour away that way. But I think that's allowing perhaps people to reinvest. I think the reduction in you know, the fact you can now take your HGV test to just drive forward round in a circle and say, yep, well done, you've passed. <laughs> that might, you know, if we see a few bulkers going up through farmers' roofs and things like that, it could make a difference. But I think that will bring more drivers into the pool and it needs to happen. I think the salary's going to, hopefully it isn't an easier test, is it? Is that happened? I believe that you had to do a rigid style lorry test then followed by the articulated one that's been cut down so you just well, go that's straight with really the foolish that's done i think the temptation should be money a big enough wage to have that horrible job it, oh it's an easy job it isn't an easy job if you're spending three nights of the week in slough is no, it in the no. by sleeping you know so there's lots of prices to pay so you need to be paid accordingly for that the temptation needs to be money but to reduce the standard bearing in mind the size of those lorries and what they can do when they have an accident is frightening I no it that's, is that's terrible and i think you know there's a responsibility across the whole sector to improve a conditions i think i think turnaround times will be something that will need to be improved well there's some extreme arrogance with i'll say this some consumers have unbelievable arrogance about lorries turning up they've not got a welcoming try and get them through as quick as possible we appreciate your need type attitude it's all about them it's all about yeah that's coffee break mate you'll have to wait there 10 minutes this is it absolutely andrew and i think it's about recognizing that extending perhaps opening hours or you know improving the infrastructure to discharge a vehicle in a satisfactory amount of time it's very rare now that a truck will go onto a farm and be waiting more than half an hour to load his lorry oh, i think no, that's sorted out the, the farmers correct have, the farmers have done their bit yeah they've invested in big buckets or big facilities or outside hoppers or something it's the consumption end that's holding lorries up now. correct i think and, agree more and, and that's right and i think that's why there'll be certain consumption points that will become a premium or discount yeah. because of the turnaround time and i think we see that in certain areas already i think there's certainly ourselves 
ourselves because of our location and a little bit like you were saying we're in a surplus area and so naturally we tend to try and ship as much as or more than perhaps other areas but we look to do that more now because it's just easier to move 4,000 tonnes in two days than it is to move 4,000 tonnes over two weeks. Mm. You know, it's well, just Well, the, the model we use is central storage, and our pricing is based on that, and we have control of that. We have very long opening hours, and we've worked on our intake, and we pride ourselves on trying to get the damn stuff away. I mean, at the tail end of the sheds being full, it gets a bit tight, but the model at harvest time, certainly of malting barley, is we're not delivering malting barley at harvest time to molsters. One, they're inundated. Two, their intake normally starts a bit later than harvest really is, although they convince themselves that July, August is winter malting barley intake take time that winter barley is over by July the 30th generally that's possibly some of our growth has come through the simple realization that those logistics are what are required to get the job done and it isn't price it's actual performance isn't it correct yeah and I think service at the end of the day is the major thing especially at harvest time when people have got you know a lot of work going on people as we've talked about in the haulage industry also on farms labor is difficult to find Mm. and conditions have to be good and effectively people want to come to work do the work in the best possible way go home again they don't want hard work and that can come from everyone not pulling together if someone's waiting around for a lorry for three hours they don't want to do that really when they could be doing something else since you joined Sofitra, you've got your team in Kent that kind of work as a unit within a bigger company. Do you find it easy to make sure that the simple things happen? Can you override it? How does that? That's always a big fear with a big company. So I like as an independent, as you know, but I'll be polite. You know, it's sometimes tough to convince someone somewhere else that, no, you need us to do that to there and not to take it to Stockport or something like that. How do you do it? It's a classic point, Andrew, that, you know, and often people say, oh, you know, part of a bigger company, as you say, it's harder to keep an eye on almost the minutiae of certain situations. We all have good relationships with our farmer growers. And one thing with Safitra that our team in Kent has enjoyed is the fact that they allow us to have a personality within that area and do the things that need to be done. And we have very good colleagues, you know, outside of the county, whether that's logistics, haulage operators, execution, people through to administration. And we've got, you know, as a feature is building up its origination side of its business, there's a lot to be learned, but also people that are keen to learn. And it's a time when they can understand a system of doing it that we effectively think is best because someone has to lead that and show people that actually this is how we want to do it. Nothing is 100% perfect like anything, but it's about having the awareness and being able to control yeah. those things. Yeah, stepping in if someone is, I mean, literally, I mean, going to take a load of, you know, if you get some new young superstar buck coming in as the wheat trader at a big company, and he goes, I need some feed wheat, oh, well, I'll look at my book, ah, oh, I've got some cheap stuff down there in Kent, we'll better get that moved nominates that to go somewhere obscure and then you know you as the individual down here knows it's probably borderline moisture somewhere in the heap and if it goes somewhere it might get rejected you know that guy up there is never going to know that it is my new tie i've had these battles in my past you know i always remember a million years ago i worked for bdr it was before they had the lottery win i always remember this moment really switching me off to the whole thing as an example it's just me and this guy from ConAgra, who owned BDR, came across from America, and he bought this brochure with a picture of all the directors of ConAgra. And there were these, like, you know, smug-looking American types with uh, lots of plastic surgery and just very polished-looking bunch of fat people with sports jackets on. And this guy turned up in a shell suit sort of top jacket, and he was a very matey and buddy and all that stuff. And he said, just remember, you're one of 34,000 employees. 
And it just made me feel so, I don't know, like unimportant. How can anyone make a difference in an organisation like this? And I looked at the faces of all the people on the board and thought, I don't like the look of any one of those. So that was a deciding moment just before I joined here, you know. So, Quite right. Yeah. I mean, so the danger is losing yourself in a big organisation and someone up there not understanding. They think you're being pernickety by not allowing certain things to occur. They've got to understand the grassroots of this industry is individual farmers who, if you piss them over, they are going to turn around and go, I ain't dealing with you again. And that's the end of that. Year after year after year, they don't come back. So it's important you have that kind of ability to meet realistic expectations. Absolutely. And I think that you have to be strong within an organisation and that comes down to personality. Yeah, and aware. Yeah, and being aware. But I think experience, without a doubt, in this job counts most of all. And with experience then becomes a sort of, you know, a confidence in what you're talking about. You say, look, something isn't right on that parcel of grain. That can't just go into a mainstream home and just get forgotten about. There will be a problem on intake with that. Yes, there'll always be a mistake. And it's about always how we, you know, get over those mistakes, whether that's with consumer or with, you know, the farmer on the farm gate. And it's, you know, trying to avoid those as much as possible. And I think if we can use our experience to say, look, let's do this. It's like building up trust in any situation. But it's something that I think over time people will get better at as they get better or they decide that, you know, that's not for them and they move on. It's a difficult one in a big organisation. I think personally, and I've said this to you before, Andrew, that with Safitra they've been very good for us to let us do what we do. We've got our, you know, relationships with consumers and farmers from previous employments and previous situations. And I think, you know, that's one benefit of the larger company that they can allow you to do a number of things that perhaps you couldn't do before. Yeah. And it's about then giving them the confidence that you know what you're doing, showing yeah. it and moving on from there. I, I could do with a few million pounds behind me because I could do all sorts of stuff up in Norfolk. Right? Well, I've no doubt that, you know, with employees like Ian Webster by his side, you need a bit of cash to keep him going. We went out last night, didn't we? We went to the King's Head in Coltishall and had a few beers at the Rising Sun first. And then, the, and uh, that was actually quite a nice night, wasn't it? We haven't been out at all, really. No. And so uh, Josh and Ben and Webby and myself joined you for some food. And then uh, you discovered you couldn't get any accommodation in Norfolk. A bit like Jesus, you know, or Mary and Joseph in Bet. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> so you ended up at Webby's, didn't you? That's right, I did. Yeah. And very kindly, he put me up. And I was in the West Wing. I thought he yeah. was joking, but absolutely, you know, I had my own, my own wing there which was fabulous and in a quintessential English village I was very impressed and I was flattered actually you know that the full team was there to meet me for dinner I wasn't expecting that but we had some good banter it was kind of like yeah what the hell let's go and do that that seemed like a good idea so really glad we did just feel a little rough (laughs) but you know which leads on to we do have to do a beer in a minute you brought some beers in by the look of it was it you brought them in or was it I did bring some I thought doom bar on the table I I did you have already done your bit on that you sent us some a while ago didn't you I did Andrew but I thought if I walk in here without any. Yeah, that's very good. I was never going to be be allowed to forget that. We're going to have to share a can of Doom Bar this time of the morning, which is not great, but we're going to have to do that. Take one for the team, that is. But I must be This is life life at the coalface, Andrew. (laughs) It's tough. I must mention this. Last week, we didn't know who sent us some beers, and I've got to pick up, I'll probably mention this on the market report bit as well, but it was Matt Dewars. Matt had sent me an email, and this is a good example of an old codge who doesn't read every single email every single day. I know you should in this modern age do that, but do you know what? Everybody else's timing. Anyway, Matt had very kindly sent me an email saying that it was him who had sent the beer, and so I hadn't read that, and I didn't know. <laughs> so putting it right right now, very good beer, and Matt, who his business down in Suffolk does the same as we do up at Cantley with the air grain, you know, gravity separation or colour sorting, taking ergot out, 
you know, correcting those things. So I'm giving you a big heads up here, Matt, and a bit of an advert. So if you're in Suffolk, quite happily go to Dewar's. If you're in Norfolk, you have to come over to us. But good on you, and thanks for the beers. I'll go and get a couple of glasses and a can. We're going to have one can between us, or do you want one each? I'm in your hands, Andrew. <laughs> Don't let do everyone down. So hang on. We've got Doom Bar, and um, we're going to share this. I will say this, I'm going to give you... As a special memento, a doing grain beer glass. Don't put your beer in that one. You can take that one home. Thank you, Andrew. That's great. My pleasure. You can uh, put that, that on show in the office. So that'll be on eBay this afternoon. I'm sure that will make a few oh, quid. Yeah. Nice glass, isn't it? <laughs> You're pouring. I'll be mother, shall I? Yeah. Doombar is a home bet, good beer, as everybody knows probably. And I can't remember who is the brewer. Sharp's Brewery, which yep. is Cornish. This is part of the podcast, so you have to, with your mouth tasting like soap, say cheers. It's cheers. Yeah, it's going to be one of those days where we... It's a bit hooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right, isn't it? You guarantee you're going to have a good beer when you go to a pub and you're a doom bar. We all know that. It's some of the quirkier ones we've had to taste that aren't quite so good. That's right. And I think down in Kent, I think a lot of people know that Shep and Neem is our mm. staple there. And like all people that reside in counties, they tend to get tired of their own local brews. Yeah, I mean, for a little while, but it's like coming home, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, yeah. Spitfire is a good beer and Bishop's Finger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. But one from our close neighbours in Sussex is Harvey's, Harvey's Best Bitter. I'll give that a big up because that's one that the shop I went to to get these, unfortunately, didn't stock it. But yeah, I thought we'd go for a taste of Cornwall instead. No, that'll do. Anyway, I'm delighted. Good start to the day. So this is an industry which has had a few troubles. Are you enjoying yourself? Is it okay? Is it, you know, a good way to live your life? 100%. I think, you know, I feel very fortunate that my, I think my personality suits the job I do. One of the great things, I think, is that every day is different. Mm. And as, many, as, as much as you can drive into work in the morning and have a great plan of what's going to happen, yeah. generally within 10 minutes that can be blown out of the water and we spend the rest of the day. But that's the fun of it. And I think, you know, as someone that enjoys the challenge and I think we all get a rush from the trades the good trades we do and that's yeah oh, we remember the good ones yeah yeah that's right exactly and I think that's what drives you on for the next one and if that isn't doing that for you then you need to have a look at something else but no I've thoroughly enjoyed my just over 10 years in the trade now and you know they've flown by so each year is different each harvest is different and you know you build on experience was Kent a wet harvest or was it a, a reasonably easy one it was a wet harvest, yeah, and we suffered throughout from the end of May really through to the end of July, well and August really, but just dull weather, not very much sun, and I think the yields have reflected that. I think there are some, it sounds like for me talking to colleagues and other people in the trade that there are some sweet spots around that had some good yields that mm-hmm. sun did shine for them and I think also the amount of rain they had it kept crops growing on some lighter brashier soils where it could run through Lightland definitely did do better definitely it? and the quality is a mixed bag especially for us as a milling wheat as milling wheat growers that's going to be a task but we've got infrastructure in place to hopefully provide what customer needs and this is a great year is you know the customer needs to come to the UK domestic grower mm. rather than, you know, holding to ransom and they go, oh, OK, I'll go to Helmut. Germany. Or, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and buy it in. So I think the seasons, you know, it's only just started and there's a long way to go. I think milling wheat is something that the Hagberg's held up. I think it is something of value as the season goes on. I think there'll be people moving stuff early part of the year because they're a bit distressed with their storage or the moisture of it or they can't quite get it in the right condition. But once it's gone past those people who need to sell it, I think the premium's going to remain firm. I really do. Yeah, I think you're right, Andrew. It's just where does the base week now? So bearing in mind every week I come on here and I come up with my theories and I remember the ones I'm right and then people would say, what about this? Well, you said this and I went, yeah, I did. 
So, on the 2nd of April, you're like, I'll join you with this, I'll have my view. Where do you think the May London wheat futures price will be? The May 22 London wheat futures, where do you think it will be? It's currently at 191 or 2, isn't it, I think, last night's close? Yeah, so I think somewhere between... 100. It's not going to rub, is it? <laughs> and 250. Thanks very much. No? Put in prick in there. No one dies. This no, of course is, they don't die. And, you, and this isn't a Safit review. This is a complete... I'll give you the build-up. There are so many anomalies that could make the price be completely different to what you're saying. So it's 100% if, 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 and if lots of things occur in a straight line and none of the curveballs come out of the woodwork. Yeah. No, I think from what we know in terms of what wheat harvest around the world and through Europe and then bring it back to the UK, we know that there is you know, a shortage in terms of... It's tight. It's tight, that's right. And that's not going to change. It'll be interesting to see how the European corn crop comes off because I think it's got great potential mm. and that probably helps. But I think ultimately we've got demand across the board from Group 1 bread making millers right through to ethanol crushers yeah. Yeah. and that demand isn't going away. And I suspect, as you alluded to, that once the barn doors are shut, it'll take a bit to open them up. And I fully expect the market to trade over £200. And I suspect, OK, if we're going for next April, 210 Oh, 50 Ooh. Yeah. I think that in between now and then it'll go down. I think there'll be a period where it's weaker. Yeah. Because there is going to be an issue with a lot of grain onto the market in the autumn but yeah, I agree. I think at this moment, let's make some assumptions about you know other crops not performing. I think we'll be over £200 a tonne. I was going to be a bit more conservative than you. I was going to put 205 on there. But the dynamic of it is, it really could be dramatically higher. Correct. And more importantly, for those of you who think we're just, you know, crazy bullish all the time, it could be lower than 200 because, you know, there could be a bigger corn crop. There could be a very big dramatic political moment like China walking into Taiwan or, you know, some sort of Russian meddling that gets definitively proved. And just like 9-11, the commodity price drops like a stone. So we're in very uncertain times and world trade is in jeopardy. Plus, we've got the cop out 26 (laughs) meeting in a month's time, which is probably going to end in tears because China and America have already disagreed about who threw the first stone if you like you know the Americans saying it's you and China saying it's you so if those two don't agree it's a kind of pointless waste of time turning up isn't it it is and I think those world scenarios we have to see how it all plays out but like you alluded to if we take all that off the table where do we think in terms of wheat what we're going on I think between now and Christmas there's a lot of forward sold wheat that's going to need to move off farm yeah well of course it needs to move off farm it's bought to go and it will move but we've had two or three dry harvests this year isn't yeah we all know that once you get over 15 percent 16s wheat doesn't store very well at those moistures temperature could rise start to get insect problems then it costs money to sort that out and I think that will probably put a bit of pressure on but as the season moves through we're already seeing good demand and we're not even out of September and September is normally a difficult month to get grain off the farm because people Mm. are getting busy cultivating and drilling or starting to go drilling harvest has been shunted back a month almost and that flows kept coming and then as we get into October and the marketing season proper I think then stuff that will need to move that will happen and then, you know, once shooting season comes, going skiing, because, of course, all the <laughs> restrictions are off now, Yeah, it'll get a bit harder then, and we have to start paying up a bit. That's you going skiing, is it? No, it's at your farmers once. going skiing. At least once. <laughs> is that from November through to Feb? That's the other joke. Anyway, no, right, I think with that slight 
gentle bit of farmer bashing. We'll wrap it up, I think. I really appreciate you being, you know, set upon when you walked in the office this morning. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming on the podcast, and you are the first member of the opposition to do so. So, Tim, thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.